This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision. Every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. You can subscribe to the magazine by visiting classical-music.com or to our interactive iPad edition by visiting iTunes.com. BBC Music Magazine is now an official Apple Music curator and you can listen to our exclusive playlists by visiting applemusic.com slash bbcmm. Hello and welcome to our monthly cover CD podcast in which we take a brief look at the works on the disc that accompanies the latest issue of BBC Music magazine. I am Jeremy Pound, the magazine's deputy editor, and with me today is our editorial assistant, Eleanor Cooper. Hello. Now then, before we start, as you evidently appreciate good music, I'm going to remind you to take part in the 2017 BBC Music magazine awards. This is where we take all the finest recordings of 2016 and ask you to vote for your favourites. And you can find all the details at www.classical-music.com slash awards. But anyway, back to business. This month, we are talking about our February issue cover CD, which features Philip Glass's 10th Symphony, performed by the Aurora Orchestra under Nicholas Collin, and John Adams's concerto, The Dharma at Big Sur, played by violinist Chloe Hanslip in the company of the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. So let's start at the very beginning. Here is the opening of Glass's Tenth Symphony.
That was the opening of Philip Glass's 10th Symphony, played by the Aurora Orchestra at the BBC Proms in July 2013. For those who largely associate Glass with gently mesmerising piano meanderings or epic-length operas about historic characters, the bolder, brasher world of his symphonies can sometimes come as something of a surprise. Describe exactly what we get in the 10th Symphony, Elena. I mean, you're right, Glass did start writing symphonies quite late in his career, relatively. He did lots of chamber work and, and lots of operas um, before moving on to the, uh, the symphonies in, in the 80s. Um, his 10th symphony uh, here, it, he wrote in 2012, actually, for the Orchestre Francais de Jeunes, who were conducted by Dennis Russell Davis. And it was actually an adaptation of an earlier work called Los Paisajes del Rio, which Glass wrote for his own ensemble in 2008. Now, an attempt to circumnavigate the supposed curse of the ninth, uh, which is the belief among composers that their ninth symphony is destined to be their last. Glass actually composed this work before his ninth was premiered, so cleverly getting around that worry. And although he's kind of moved on to symphonies um, from chamber works, etc., um, the sort of trademark glass sound is still there, isn't it? Those sort of those big cells of sound and rep- repetitions, and that's sort of how he gets the, and it's the still very, style. Very tightly constructed, the tenth symphony. So it could almost still be a chamber work, um, but except for the large forces that it's written for. Let's hear another moment then. Here we join midway through the fourth movement, which, with brilliant imagination on Glass's part, is called Movement Four. was Movement 4 of Philip Glass's 10th Symphony. There are five movements in all, called Movement 1, Movement 2, Movement 3, Movement 4 and Movement 5. Now then, there's a reason why Glass's 10th Symphony is featured on our February issue cover CD, and in fact why his image is splashed across the front cover of the magazine itself. Can you explain, Eleanor? Yes, Philip Glass is reaching a landmark birthday. He turns 80 on the 31st of January. To celebrate, we've got an exclusive interview with him um, inside the magazine where we talk about his whole career. It's really a fantastic overview of, of his life and how he sees his work. We also have talked to seven uh, musicians who are all experts in Glass's music about the impact the composers had on the direction of classical music in the 20th and 21st century and on their own experiences of working with him and of playing his music. Can you tell us who some of these seven musicians are? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got Dennis Russell Davis, who is a conductor who's worked a lot with Glass's music and premiered a lot of his works, um, including the 10th Symphony, as discussed earlier. And we've got Paul Barnes, who he worked with um, in great detail on, the, on his piano concertos. And Paul Barnes has recorded a lot of premieres of his piano works. And we've also got Guidon Kramer, who had premiered his first violin concerto um, and has similarly worked very closely with him on collaborating with music. And added to that, I can also add the likes of Lavinia Mayer, um, a harpist who has transcribed a number of Glass's works for harp. Um, and also, if I remember, Nico Muli, who studied very closely with Glass and worked for him for many years, the composer Nico Muli. It's all fascinating stuff. Also featured on our February disc, meanwhile, is, as we mentioned earlier, John Adams's The Dharma at Big Sur. This is a concerto written, as you'll hear, for an instrument not often seen in the classical music concert hall. Thank you. 
That was the first movement of John Adams's Dharma at Big Sur, and the movement itself is actually called A New Day, and it's the first of two movements. The solo instrument you heard there, played by Chloe Hanslip, was an electric violin. And if it seemed a little lower than you'd expect for a violin at times, that is because the work is scored for a six-string instrument, which has C and F strings below the usual four. But anyway, Dharma at Big Sur. Fascinating name for a concerto. What's it all about, Eleanor? Uh, so John Adams wrote this piece in 2003 for the opening of Walt Disney's Concert Hall in uh, Los Angeles. Um, it's called the Big Sur. The Big Sur is a region of on the Californian coast that's often described as being the greatest meeting of land and water in the world. And it's this amazing coastline and national park, really very, very beautiful landscape. And John Adams has said that when he was writing this piece, he wanted to express the moment when you reach the edge of the continental land, you reach the edge of the land and you can just see the sea going off into the distance. And he says that for a newcomer, the first exposure to that site produces a visceral effect of great emotional complexity. And that's what he's trying to kind of convey in this work. Um, it's also a tribute to two other giants of contemporary American music. First movement, as Jeremy said, uh, is called A New Day, and that's dedicated to Lou Harrison, uh, composer, and the second movement is called Shri Moonshine, and that's dedicated to Terry Riley. Excellent. By the by, there's also some cracking golf courses along that stretch of the California coast. Whether John Adams is a golfer or not, I have no idea. But anyway, Philip Glass and John Adams are often plonked together under the heading of US minimalist, though in fact both composers regularly defy such a description in their music. They're also very different from each other, not least in terms of geography, aren't they? Yeah, they're coming from opposite sides of the United States. Uh, Philip Glass is from New York and John Adams has spent most of his life in California. Mm. And explain to us just how they kind of meet or rather don't meet our concept of minimalism. Well, our idea of minimalism is, is largely based on this idea of the repetitive um, structures or patterns in music. Um, and Philip Glass is particularly... His music fits into that, and we heard in the 10th Symphony, you can hear those repetitive patterns. Um, they really characterise his music. Adams, on the other hand, uses minimalism in a slightly different way, and he has a lot more um, expression and narrative in his music, and so he um, doesn't quite fit into the minimalist sound world that we would expect him to. And in fact, when he does use minimalist sort of cells and tricks, he actually does it kind of poking fun at the stars, isn't he? Yeah, he's talked about um, this character he calls the trickster, which is the way he uses minimalism to almost poke fun at itself. But he um, he can then use that feeling of this never-endingness that minimalism gives you. And do the two composers have anything kind of similar, apart from that sort of being bracketed together? Um, well, they've both composed quite political operas. That's uh, that's really their main similarity. And so Adams has uh, famously Nixon in China and The Death of Klinghoffer, both of which were very controversial. And Glass has similarly concentrated his operas on um, kind of big political figures. Um, Satyagraha is about the life of Mahatma Gandhi. They've, they've both kind of won a lot of plaudits or otherwise, haven't they, for approaching contemporary themes and not shying away from them. John Adams is, incidentally, almost exactly a decade younger than Philip Glass and will be celebrating his 70th birthday on the 15th of February this year. As he prepares to light three score and ten candles on his birthday cake, we'll sign off this podcast with a moment from the second movement of Dharma at Big Sur. Said movement is called Sri Moonshine. In the meantime, it's goodbye from Eleanor. Goodbye. And a minimalist goodbye from me. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.